A reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them, them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in in a cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open he drew his sword and was about to kill himself before he thought the prisoners, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He had brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptised. The jailer brought them to his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had become to believe in God, he and his whole family. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the book of Revelation. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. 
the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Lord Jesus, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be pleasing unto you. Amen. Well, prayer perplexes me. I don't know about you, but I find it very troubling. Most of us, at some point, pray. It's important to us. But I guess if we're honest, most of us don't find it particularly satisfying and only sometimes sense God's presence with us as we pray. There's a great theologian, a, German, a, a chap called Hans Kung, who wrote uh, lots and lots of books. But he wrote one particular book, 702 pages of it, which was called On Being a Christian. On Being a Christian, 702 pages. And in that whole book, he didn't mention prayer once. 
He's since apologised for that. <laughs> but I guess lots of us get too busy. We're too wrapped up in uh, all the things that we could do and, and our own kind of idea of what we can do rather than what God can do. And we just miss out on prayer. And I wonder what it is that you pray for. I mean, if I'm honest, most of the time I'm praying for me. (laughs) Or I'm praying for those uh, that I particularly love. Well, what I love about our gospel reading today is that it gives us an insight into the way that Jesus prayed. It's part of a, a whole chapter about prayer, often called the high priestly prayer, in which Jesus prays first of all for himself then for all his disciples, and then, the bit that we have today, the church through the centuries to come, those who will come to believe in him. So our passage is, has an emphasis on, on us today, on future believers. And that's very clear in the language um, that he uses. My prayer is not for them alone, them the disciples, I pray also for those who will believe through the message of the disciples. That's you and me. Jesus is praying for us. And he mentions three things. Unity, glory and love. So first of all, he looks around in unity. At a crux point in his ministry, when Jesus is about to make his way to the cross... What is it that's, pr- that's preying on his mind? Well, it's unity. I wonder what that unity looks like. Is it the acceptance of everybody, no matter what? Well, it's like the unity of those first disciples and the unity of the Father and the Son, verse 21. You don't get any closer than the unity of the Father and the Son. The pattern for the unity of believers is unlike anything else on earth. When I was in business, we used to talk a lot about unity of vision, unity of values, about being what holds us together. Have you ever been off on those team days? Yes, there's a few nodding heads, where you go away and you decide this is what we're all about. And it brings unity for a little while. Well, you might want to think of the coalition government. Whatever your political persuasion, they've come together saying, yes, this is what we're going to try to achieve. And yet we know as time goes on, some of those strands begin to unravel. Unity is tough. But Jesus here isn't just talking about unity of organisation or purpose or feeling or affection. He's saying just as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, we're to be related like that in the church. Christians are drawn to one another because they are drawn to a common centre, Jesus Christ himself. It's as if every one of us in the church were a piece of, of crystal in a beautiful chandelier that God is making. 
As with all analogies, this does break down at one point. But at the top of the chandelier, imagine Father, Son and Holy Spirit, three lights in one, shining love one toward the other. And every one of us catches a little fragment of that light. And every one of us reflects it and breaks it up, reflecting it to one another until the world looks at us and sees shimmering there the unexplainable fact of the unity and love of God in his church. That's the picture that Jesus is giving us for his church. Why is it so important to have this unity? Well, it's there in verse 21 and 23. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then verse 23, to demonstrate the Father's love. One writer once said, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. And we know our fair share of divisions, don't we? Does the Spirit proceed from the Father and the Son, or just the Father? That was a big argument many years ago. Should women be bishops? Organ or band? Divisions in our congregations with unforgiven arguments and issues left uncovered. You see, it's more natural for us to be divided than united. One writer says that the unity that Jesus is praying for is a supernatural fact requiring a supernatural explanation. This unity will come when God permanently establishes his kingdom forever. As we read from our passage in Revelation, when the Spirit and the Bride together say, Come. And we had a beautiful picture of the unity that comes through Jesus in our story from Acts. Paul and Silas in prison. An earthquake shakes the cells and the doors fly open. The jailer is ready to kill himself, understanding the repercussions if he's lost his prisoners. But they wait together. Paul and Silas bring the word of God and the jailer believes and his whole household is baptised. And do you see what happened next in that story? The jailer becomes the host as he sets a meal before Paul and Silas. Unity is achieved and the house is filled with joy. So what does unity look like for us? Well, there's a whole load of healing that needs to go on, isn't there, between uh, East and West, Catholic and Protestant, Free Church and State Church, Charismatic and Conservative, Liberal and Catholic. But what about us? Inside the church and outside the church. Inside the church, do we act as a unifier, seeking common ground? giving thanks for the way that God is using his church in Reading and here in Southcote. See, the blunt truth about any church is that there are dozens of opinions at any one time about the dozens of things that the church is trying to do. But every one of us must make a decision to be a unifier in the midst of God's people. Or we give Satan an opportunity to bring division. As Christians... 
we may like many different experiences and approaches to worship, to being in God's presence. But with all the differences, we're unified in our task of being God's people in God's place under the Lordship of Jesus. But it's not just in the church, it's also outside of the church. Every Sunday, there are people who are staying at home because on a Monday we go into our workplaces or the school gates and we criticise what's going on in church. And we don't speak of who Jesus is. We go out and instead of presenting the church as one under the lordship of Jesus, we criticise the church, its programmes and all we do. In the church and in the world, be one by what you say, by what you don't say, and by what you do. Those random acts of kindness that Paul and Silas showed the jailer. So first of all, be united. Secondly, look forward to glory. Our future believers are referred to as those you've given me. And they're told that they will see the glory that the Father has given to Jesus. The glory of the one who is coming soon. Alpha and Omega. First and last. Beginning and end. Jesus prays that the present church on earth and the future church will see his glory. Christ has already revealed all the glory we can comprehend. And in verse 22, Jesus says, I've given them the glory that you gave me. If you have the living Jesus in you, Jesus has given you the glory that his Father gave him. You are bearing the image of Christ in you, the glory of Christ in you. When you go to school, when you go to see friends, when you go to the office, the glory of Christ rests with you. Isn't that amazing? Verse 22 continues, saying that the purpose of showing us his glory was that they may be one. Even now, when we move our eyes from one another and contemplate the revealed glory of God in Christ, we are one. That glory transforms us now. It's what Paul told the church in Corinth. We're being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory. We will perfectly be one when we perfectly see his glory. The more we look at him, the more we will see forever. That glory is the outward, visible expression of the love between the Father and the Son. Verse 24 says, The glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. That's the glory we're talking about. So why not start now? Our churches will never be fully united by looking at the priest, as great as Pads is. 
They'll never be fully united by looking at a programme. They'll never be fully united by looking at one another. They'll be fully united when we look at Jesus. So we've looked around in unity. We've looked forward for glory and we're looking back in love. You see the conclusion of his prayer in verse 25 and 26. It's not a request, but he's looking back over the time the disciples have been with him. Jesus has made the Father known to his disciples and he's going to continue to do so. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Only as Jesus abides in us will we know the love of God. There's no way that this love can be separated from the presence of Christ. Jesus' whole mission is to make known to believers in such a way that the love which characterises God may be active among us. A bit later on in this service, we're going to be sharing communion, broken bread, wine outpours. And as we do so, just be thinking, meditating on those points, looking around in unity as we each come to communion. Unity here in this congregation, unity across Reading, unity across the world with other believers who are taking communion this morning. Unity back for the last 2,000 years as people have taken communion. Unity looking forward for the church that is to come, who will also take communion. Look around in unity. Look forward in glory, because as we take communion, we're thinking about the heavenly banquet that is to come, our place with him in heaven. And look back in love, because the whole purpose of communion is for us to gather at the foot of the cross and to remember the body broken, the blood outpoured, because he loves us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want you to be the absolute centre of our lives. We want to focus on you because we know that that's where unity comes. So we pray in this church and in your church in Reading that we would be known as those who love you and so be united in you and reflect your glory to a waiting and watching world. Amen.